If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians, where we're continuing our, our series through this important letter um, from the Apostle Paul. And we are looking at verses, um, this passage 3 through 11, which is a continuing introduction to the rest of the letter. I, I'm, you know, in the title, I refer to it as a primer on affliction. And I realize that primer is kind of an old word, um, but a primer is just essentially, it can be used to describe a, kind of a, a brief summary of essential points on a certain topic. And that's, in, in a sense, what we have here is, as this becomes one of the great themes of the letter, but, but here Paul kind of just lays it out for us, and he gives us some of these essential um, principles that are connected to affliction and suffering. So if you are able, I invite you to stand for the hearing of the Word of God. So this is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of all the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. You may be seated. So this is uh, continuing in the form of a letter. And in the ancient world, letters after the immediate greeting identifying the author and the recipient of the letter would then, um, uh, uh, it was customary to offer a word of thanksgiving to the given deity that a person uh, worshipped. And so there is something of, of that nature here that Paul is kind of following that expected um, format of a letter. And so this, these words that he, he speaks about uh, on the topic of affliction and on suffering, they come in the context of a word of thanksgiving um, to the Lord. 
we need to understand, um, again, that uh, as we orient ourselves to what Paul is writing here, that he is also defending himself as an apostle against the charge that somehow his extreme suffering and weakness somehow undermines his claim to being an apostle. Paul's specifically talking about his experiences, and so most scholars, New Testament scholars, when they read the, the we and the us, they kind of interpret, well, they do. Most of them interpret it as a kind of royal we or us, or we might call it the apostolic uh, we or us, where, where the plurals are really being used to describe Paul's um, experience, possibly the experience of Paul and his co-workers. Um, that might also explain the plural. But, but as you read through this, there's the sense that this is Paul's really reflecting on his own experiences, but those experiences have relevance and application for all of us. And we also need to understand that in Paul's calling, Jesus prepares him for this when he says to Ananias concerning the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, um, the Lord says uh, to this, this prophet, but the, um, go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, again, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Part of Paul's argument that will develop as we work through the letter is that there was something unique about his suffering, actually, that he was called to embody the death of Christ in his ministry, and that for him specifically, this was a, a sign of his calling as Christ's apostle. Um, and so we'll work through this. But it wasn't just death, as we'll see, and I'm giving you a little bit of foreshadowing. It was also resurrection. The death and resurrection are at play in the life of Paul. And in a, in a secondary way, the death and resurrection of Christ are at play in all of of the followers, in all the lives of those who follow Christ. This is to be their expectation, that their life is going to travel this road. It won't be usually as extreme as what the Apostle Paul suffered, but there is this sense of death, that there is a sense of tribulation, and that there's also the sense then of experiencing the resurrection life on the other side. Okay? So there's this paradigm for the Christian life, but it's especially um, uh, a pattern for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It was part of his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The first principle that I want to highlight concerning affliction is that it's not, um, uh, a, it's not completely a negative experience, at least with regard to its outcomes. So that's what Paul's going to show us here, that, that from God's standpoint, there's often um, good purposes for affliction. We're not to pursue suffering as if persecution and martyrdom were good things in themselves. And, and this was a problem for some in the early church, that they would provoke opposition in order to suffer and perhaps even be martyred as a sign of this kind of spiritual higher life. But, but this is not taught um, within the, the New Testament. But there is a sense, just in our practice of self-denial, the mortification of the flesh, 
as we are learning to be selfless and to consider the needs of others more important to ourselves, there is a kind of suffering involved in that, though it's different from the extreme persecution that the apostle experiences. But here's his first principle, and it's right away in verses 3 and 4, and that is that affliction can prepare and teach us how to comfort others. Okay? Affliction can prepare and teach us, can prepare us in how to comfort others. Our passage, because it is a word of thanksgiving, it begins and ends with thanksgiving to God. And this is interesting. So this whole conversation about suffering is couched, you know, it's bookended with um, this introduction of praise to God. It's a word of Blessed be God, uh, for he is the God of comfort. He is the God of mercies, that even my suffering somehow is working for God's glory. And so there's a very Godward thrust to what the apostle says here. And he concludes this way as, as well. And it's just a reminder, so often as we think about life, the focus is on me, you know, my, myself, um, and And what the apostle constantly is wanting to do is to redirect us to say, no, God was not made for us. We were made for him. And this is right at the heart of understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that it is part of our design to get our lives in orbit around God, that our lives are focused and centered on his glory and not our own. And when we figure that out, suddenly we begin to have a sense of the comfort that he's talking about here. We have a sense of, I'm finding my purpose. I'm understanding um, uh, the, the heart of why I was made, why I'm here. But verse 4, um, well, let me just go back. And, and, and just in terms of emphasis, there are two key words here. Um, two words that are, worth, are ideas that are repeated over and over. The first is comfort, as in the God of all comfort, and the related word, comforting. Together, these terms occur ten times in, you know, this short uh, passage. In total, the the words comfort or comforting occur 17 times in 2 Corinthians. So comfort, the consolation of God, is an important theme. And its counterpart then to the comfort, what, why is it that we need comfort? Well, it's the second word, affliction, or kind of the synonym that he's using here, suffering. Uh, affliction is mentioned three times here, nine times in the complete letter. The word suffering is also used three times in our short passage. So for that reason, from the very beginning, our attention is fixed on the problem of suffering and the promise of God's comfort. The problem of suffering and the promise of God's comfort. And and this is such an important uh, principle. Paul is telling us that there are positive elements, that there are good outcomes connected with affliction. You know, peace is something that's connected uh, with the comfort. The comfort being described here is is both a sense of sometimes the comfort comes in the um, in a deliverance, you know, and, and God rescuing us from a particular situation. 
Sometimes it comes in the form of, you know, you see a threat and God removes the threat. And so there's comfort in answered prayer or an intervention from God. But there's also a comfort that's just the comfort through the affliction. It's the peace that God is with us, that he loves us, that he is using us, that he is um, at work in our lives, even through the affliction, using it for some good purpose. And so very often then the comfort is that sense of peace that has, you know, it's described by Paul elsewhere as that peace that transcends all earthly understanding. Like the world looks at you and says, why why are you experiencing peace? You shouldn't be. (laughs) And of course, this is a peace that has to be renewed. This is not like you receive this experience from the Lord or, or this kind word that lifts your spirits and then you're good to go, you know, from that point on. That's not the way it works. Peace is something just like our bodies, like our spirit. It, it has to be renewed through the promises, through the encouragements, through answers of prayer um, that come our way. And so peace is something that can be weak or, and that it can be strengthened, or it can also be non-existent. The Apostle Paul, um, in Philippians 1.9, he, he describes a little bit more about this comfort. And he says that it, it, there's a sense that this comfort is, is available even in the presence of death. In Philippians 1.19, he's thinking of the deliverance of God, not just in terms of answers to prayer in this life, but the deliverance that comes in and after death. And we see this in a place like Philippians chapter 1, where he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, that is his imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. (laughs) So what's Paul saying? I'm confident the Lord's going to deliver me. I'm just not sure if it's going to be this side of death or on the other side. And he goes on, "For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is a real sense in Christian theology for all of us. At some point in our life, we will face death unless the Lord returns, takes us directly. But apart from his return, all of us at some point will face that uh, the time of our death. And, And what we need to understand is that that deliverance that God promises is still available. Resurrection will take place. It's just going to take place on the other side. So our, our, the first principle, affliction can prepare us um, uh, to comfort others. The second principle is that to suffer in faith is to share in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Here Paul is using the synonym for affliction, uh, just the general word for suffering. 
And again, suffering is a general term. Um, it can refer to outside or um, uh, persecution from you know, governing authorities and so forth. But it can also be a term used, and Paul uses it this way, when he talks about his great anxiety that he has in Corinthians and how he was comforted when his brother and co-worker Titus uh, came to him with good news concerning the church. And so um, the, the suffering can be internal. It can also be external. And Paul's ministry was very Christ-like. So what does it mean to share in the sufferings of Christ? Well, for Paul, you can see this kind of direct connection that he is, in fact, suffering so very much like Christ. He's experiencing the opposition of uh, the religious leaders, especially uh, Jewish leaders in the different places where he's traveling, but also from uh, just the secular authorities as well. And he's suffering uh, not because he's breaking you know, ordinary laws, but he's suffering because of his faith, his commitment to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing that this is upsetting and um, throw, you know, upsetting the apple cart with respect to the given worship of the gods, or even in the Jewish um, case, uh, uh, the Old Testament worship of God apart from Christ. And this upsets many. And so this, um, this creates great hostility to his ministry. And so um, his ministry was very Christ-like. And so he, in view of the suffering, is probably thinking especially of the afflictions of persecution. And just as Jesus was ultimately rewarded by the Father and took joy in the fruit of his labor and death on the cross, so too Paul's also comforted in this knowledge that he's sharing in the suffering of Christ. And there's something that... so. Paul identifies that, yes, I am suffering in a similar way to my Savior. And this connects him to a Savior. It's also a sign that he's being sanctified, that he's being conformed more and more into the image of his Savior. And the result of this is joy. The result of this is the irony of, in the face of, of affliction and suffering, that he's becoming more like Christ. And this, this gives him great comfort um, uh, to his heart and to his soul. Now, again, we may not suffer to the extreme in the ways of either Paul or Jesus. But when we do suffer deprivation on account of the gospel and Christ, we too are in some sense sharing in the suffering of Christ. And that he uses that to conform us into his image. And just as Christ also experienced joy on the other side of his suffering, so too can we expect and look forward to the sense that God will honor that, that deprivation. He will honor the sacrifice. He'll honor the, the self-denial or the actual persecution that may come our way. He'll honor that um, and, and give us uh, comfort and joy on the other side. To suffer in faith is to share in the sufferings of Christ and thus to be more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. Third, our affliction can be of further benefit to God's kingdom beyond just the comfort that we might be able to offer to others in affliction. So, this is verse 6. The apostle says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and 
salvation. Now, let me go back. There are two ways here that he's now he's kind of uh, 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 repeating what he's already said, but also adding a second thought. He's repeating the idea that we don't understand, but very often what affliction is doing, it is it's preparing us to be a minister to others. Well, what do I mean? It's as you go through an affliction and you experience, you know, a, a, a kind word and you find it strengthens you, it encourages you. Or as you're reading through the, the Psalms and, and there's a passage that just, it just penetrates your heart. Or as someone is praying for you and, and, and you see the answers to the prayer, well, as you experience the, that kind of comfort and those encouragements, what's happening? You're being prepared. You're being equipped to minister to someone else who goes through and experiences a similar kind of affliction or a similar kind of disturbance or suffering. And you're able then, with the comfort that God has given you, to minister to them blessing, to strengthen them, to encourage them and thereby to uh, build up God's church, to build up um, uh, the people of Christ. But then there's a second thing here, and that is it was also for their salvation. And there is a sense in which Paul's labor, which triggers the, the, the suffering, that that labor in itself is, is having its intended goal of building up the people of God. I mean, the apostles' ministry is planning churches almost in every city he's traveling to. And those churches then are growing up, and they're starting to plant churches in the surrounding region. His suffering is leading to the upbuilding. It's leading to the strengthening. It's leading to fruit, fruitfulness in his life. He describes it here in terms of salvation. And it may be also that, you know, it's through his, his ministry that salvation is coming. He's not the one saving, of course, but he's the instrument that God is using to bring salvation. And part of what makes the message that he wants to share um, credible is the fact that he is suffering. And so his suffering has this great um, potential for uh, blessing. And the same that's true of Paul is also true for us. When we are weak, the Lord is strong. When we continue to believe and trust that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that he loves us, that he is good, that he will ultimately honor those who honor him. And when we're willing to endure hardship for the sake of Christ, it just um, uh, it strengthens the message that we want to share, that we want to persuade others to, to understand and to believe. So our affliction can be a benefit then to God's kingdom. And then this fourth principle, suffering taught Paul to trust in the God who specializes in resurrection. Okay, that's kind of a long sentence. But suffering taught Paul to trust in the God who specializes in resurrection. Such a critical point here. This is verses 8 through 10. And here the apostle is just recounting some experience that he doesn't specifically, you know, he doesn't describe, at least here. 
He just says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, uh, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Okay, So he's recounting experience. We're not sure which experience this was because there were many. You know, I'm thinking of of an experience where he was ministering in this little um, town of Lystra. And the result of his preaching in Lystra led the townspeople to stone him. They took him outside the city. They stoned him. They think he's dead, and, and maybe he was dead. And the Lord literally brings him back to the point where they go back into the city, and then very quickly they leave. But if these were, this was Paul's experience, and he's, he's recounting, I, I was under the sentence of death, and God delivered me. Okay, so this is this kind of extreme uh, uh, intervention by the Lord in this case. But this is the key part. It's this very next sentence. Um, he says, but that was, uh, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's a critical principle. What does suffering do? It has a sanctifying effect on us when we allow it to. Suffering can teach us our need for God, that we can't live life in our own strength, that we need God's power, that we need his grace, that we need the Lord to be at work within us and through us, that so much of our lives are just completely outside of our control, and we need God to show up. This is what suffering taught Paul, as gifted as he may have been. He needed to trust the Lord. He needed to be humble and allow the Lord to do his work. And that's what he did. But notice um, that he goes on. He says, uh, to rely not on ourselves, but notice how he describes God, but on God who raises the dead. His trust is in a God that, it's not just a God that leads us into suffering, but a God who specializes in resurrection. What does that mean? Well, obviously, he's thinking, you know, most directly, this is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And by, through the resurrection of Christ, is, is, has already begun this new creation that will one day come to its consummation when Christ returns. But that new creation is already present, and it's already invisibly spreading across the planet. That's partly what he's thinking. But he's also thinking, just as that pattern of death and resurrection is at work in Jesus's life, so too that same principle of death and resurrection was involved in his life. Well, what does that mean? That means literally in his case, he died and, you know, he's stoned to death, at least on one occasion, and the Lord brings him back. So there's a literal truth to this. But there's also this spiritual truth that so often what God leads us to is to death of a dream, the death of what we thought was our future. And then he does something entirely unexpected. We think it's over. We think we have no future. We think I might as well just give up and die. And then over time, the Lord shows up and he comes with his resurrection power and he brings a new chapter he brings a new, uh, a new life, a new, he resurrects our future. And, and maybe Paul in the back of his head even has Abraham in his mind 
when Abraham takes Isaac to Mount Moriah. And in that sacrifice, what's God calling Abraham to do is to sacrifice his future through the sacrifice of his son. And what Hebrews tells us is that when Abraham was about to do that, he did it in the faith that God was a God of resurrection, that if necessary, God could bring and restore Isaac and therefore his future, therefore all the promises that he had made to Father Abraham. Well, so often when we think our life is over, God shows up, not as the God of death, but as the God of resurrection. And he specializes and bringing new, bringing new life where we thought we were at uh, an end. Let me just summarize it. This is the main principle. God uses affliction and suffering for our good. And part of that means that we need to enter into that suffering and continue. Sometimes we're holding on just with our, our fingertips, but holding on in faith that the Lord is sovereign, that he has a purpose and a reason, and that he will lead us to the other side. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for both the experience and the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And we thank you, Lord, that life isn't the way we think it ought to go. That following Christ is, in fact, an adventure and often a very difficult adventure. That the life of faith is no easy life, but it is the only life where we find our purpose, where we find comfort, where we find mercy, where we find resurrection life. Lord, strengthen us now to trust you with whatever you bring into our lives. And through it all, may we be, may we be um, a comfort to one another with the same comfort that you have used uh, to strengthen and to comfort us. So Lord, we pray it in the name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus, amen.